Good evening and welcome to another edition of Reporters Roundtable. We are coming to you from uh, the Voice of America in Washington. I'm Douglas Simpuga. This evening we'll talk about the impact and effects of the coronavirus lockdowns in Africa. And with us tonight is my colleague, Vincent Macorin, our managing editor TV English to Africa. Welcome to the show, Vincent. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. You're very much welcome. And joining us from Durban, South Africa, is the regular panelist, Suleiman Mugula, who's an independent political analyst. Uh, good evening, Suleiman. Good evening, Douglas and Vincent and our listeners. You're very much welcome. And as I said, tonight we are looking at the impact of the lockdowns across the continent. Uh, Vincent, it has been almost one and a half years with lockdown, reopen, half reopen, lockdown. It has uh, had a terrible impact to some people on the social economic fabric of the, con- of the countries in the con- on the continent. What are you hearing from across there? You know, we were hoping that after some time there will be uh, some change in how things are happening on the ground so that at least uh, those people and industries and sectors that had been seriously affected uh, will start uh, seeing uh, improvements. But uh, what we are hearing now is that things might be getting even worse. Uh, what's, what's happening is that now in some countries we are seeing again uh, schools being closed down. Uh, you know, some businesses are completely disappearing. Uh, first, because uh, they never quite recovered from uh, the original, the initial impact. But also at the moment, there's this threat of the new variants and the new variants are virulent. And we know that a, a big part of the population of uh, the African continent has not been vaccinated. In fact, we're talking about not even 1% in some countries. Now, with that, uh, there is a fear of a terrible resurgence of this uh, virus, uh, of the impact of the virus itself. And so what I hear is fear, concern, uh, that things are getting even more scarier than even the first time uh, because especially at this time uh, more and more people had become nonchalant about the whole issue of uh, you know precaution and, and and you know taking all the necessary measures after having this fatigue of of, of COVID-19 so the infections now are even more likely to spike and to be more widespread than in the first few months of the vax of uh, the covid uh, uh, pandemic when people are terrified and therefore they were doing all they could so uh, i see there's some sense of bleakness into the future in as much as some may want to you know keep up the hope alive but uh, it's it's a little worrisome i see uh, uh suleiman uh, south africa in in africa is the, um, among the most hit countries and you have had lockdown there too. Uh, what's the situation like? It's true. We have had a wave of lockdowns uh, in relation to the way the pandemic has been behaving. The first one was uh, the most difficult one. It was abrupt. Nobody knew, as you are well aware, it originated from Wuhan, from China. So many countries were advised to lock up the countries, and there was a total shutdown of the economy and social life. That one 
almost devastated the country. The economy was badly affected. Some sectors, the SMEs, the small medium enterprises, some of them were almost wiped out. The hospitality industry, the airline, those were deeply affected. So after the first wave, the economy was deeply affected and government had to intervene in with a lot of measures. But by and large, the population was uh, hard to lose the livelihood. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of restlessness. There was some hopelessness surging in. But government tried to give uh, food relief. It gave uh, a financial relief. It, for the youth, it instituted almost close to $50 per people. It... Uh, it registered them and gave them the money for about three months, four to six months. They were getting income. So there were some interventions which were made. But now, before the recovery started again, 2021, there was a resurgence of the pandemic. That one has also devastated already the weekend situation before recovery then another wave came in and then recently the government was forced to do another lockdown now the second lockdown again the population became so restless they are not used to it as you have said there is fatigue that is why when we had the recent unrest some of it was attributed to the lockdown because of the impatience which people have become the endless suffering, the lack of uh, business, the lack. Some have lost jobs. They have not yet recovered them. So generally in South Africa, we are going through hard times. I don't want to, to cheat. With the second lockdown, actually, in order to help the economy, a few days ago, the president has just introduced new measures. He had lifted the, 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 the most stringent Though it was not so stringent, but the, he had loosened up the lockdown. He has introduced new financial incentives to those who are unemployed. Uh, and then more measures are being carried out to see whether people can be relieved from the pain which they are in. So uh, South Africa, like the other places on the continent, the lockdowns are devastating the economy and they are, allowed, they are making the, the, the population... To, to to move into hopelessness because of the conditions which the lockdowns are bringing up. As Vicente, um, definitely with these lockdowns and this uncertainty, people being locked up in their houses, the African setup is different from Europe or North America. Um, the economies actually have taken a very big hit. The economies have taken a very, very big hit because it always has to be remembered that African economies are basically f based on small-scale uh, industry. In fact, uh, in many countries, uh, the economy is really held by what is uh, in Kenya, for example, called Juakali industry. This is the uh, the artisan industries. The, uh, the people are doing small uh, businesses, traders on the streets, marketplaces. Now, these are people who typically depend on uh, the day-to-day 
uh, market activity where people go in and buy stuff, uh, buy merchandise, or if it is a small uh, workshop, you know, people may get something fixed, a vehicle mechanic. There could be uh, somebody who is making some, uh, uh, you know, uh, wood, wood stuff on, you know, typically very, very small traders. But uh, the system as it's set up does not necessarily have a safeguard for these people when their businesses are impacted by something like uh, uh, this global pandemic. Now, there were initially, you know, programs which they, governments claimed will help to kind of ease the, the pain for these people. But as we know, in many countries, those monies ended up uh, going into yeah. the pockets of uh, officials corruption as always or if some people got a little disbursements those were just for maybe a month or two or a very short time now this thing has persisted and because there is nobody going out to the market to buy these things and the the people who trade who who participate in this kind of a trade don't have any uh, assistance to keep their businesses afloat we have seen some of those businesses disappear uh, when those businesses disappear, you can think of the multiply effect. It means a man who was, uh, f- you know, taking care of his family is unable to pay the necessary, uh, you know, bills, whether it is uh, rent or pay even school fees for their children, um, live alone, just um, make sure they have a meal on their table. Uh, uh, millions of women who depend on just, you know, trading in order to take care of their children and, and, and families are not able to raise these funds, and they have no support whatsoever from the government. So uh, the impact on the overall economy is huge. And uh, you can talk about the hotel industry, tourism industry, and all the tertiary industries that are associated with the bigger businesses. They have all been impacted, and therefore many African economies right now are going through the roughest times in their history. Uh, Suleiman, uh, South Africa, as pe- many people know, has one of uh, Africa's big economies. Uh, on the ground there, how is the impact? How, how, how are people uh, um, facing up to this challenge? Seriously, the SMEs, they have been battered by the lockdown and the pandemic. In South Africa, the estimation was, at, the, at least up to a few days ago, the 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 small and medium sector was just crying out to government in in the tourism or the hospitality industry they were talking of almost quarter of a million jobs in the alcohol industry alone 1.5 million jobs which are being compromised by the stop and go uh, stop and go lockdowns so the the industries, especially the small and medium, are badly battered. The government, luckily enough here, it has got a, a system. The systems are there. The records are there. The revenue services, are the, the Ministry of Trade and Industry, many of them are recorded, are, are registered. So it is easier for South Africa to intervene. A lot of money is being pumped into them. Unfortunately, some of them we were recovering, 
they have been affected by the unrest. Otherwise, as far as South Africa is concerned, there is good intervention. Money is being uh, injected into these uh, small and medium enterprises. The only problem is the bureaucracy, which is taking so long. Some of them are being affected by the bureaucracy, but there is some intervention. You can find that they are being able to pick up if it weren't for the unrest. Now the unrest has come in, especially in Durban and uh, and Houting, and they are also the major industrial areas, save for Cape Town. So they have also, again, many have been badly battered. But the government has promised that it is making arrangements to intervene, and hopefully they will intervene and be able to help them. Let's hope they will come up. But now the question remains, should the, should the pandemic continue? or should Right now in South Africa, the, the, the wave seems to be going down, which has forced the government to relax the lockdown. But it is unpredictable. Should it again rise up, the question in the mouth of the people, especially the business sector, is that do they need another lockdown? For worse or for good, but is, an, is the lockdown is the only solution to the predicament of the pandemic when the figures rise up again? That is the question now, the debate which is on the mouth of many of the business sector people in this country. Vincent, uh, these lockdowns, uh, first of all, briefly, do they even work? Do they help? People have yeah. said, well, from a from medical point of view, they, they help stop the spread of the virus. Others have said they make matters worse. Uh, briefly, what's your opinion on that? Lockdowns could, uh, you know, ideally work uh, only if people are able to take uh, the necessary measures. Uh, so we have situations where people are being prevented, of course, from uh, moving from one place to another or perhaps uh, moving at certain times of the day or the night. But then you have to consider that uh, a great number of people also live in heavily congested neighborhoods. And in this particular neighborhood, nothing is stopping these people from interacting as they're trying to survive. But also, depending on their attitude, uh, we have situations where people, uh, you know, are, are, of course, they're locked down in their particular neighborhoods, but they're out there without wearing masks, without uh, necessarily using uh, the sanitizers as, 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 as effectively as they should. And particularly the issue of wearing masks, most people ended up giving up on how to properly use them. You put them, they put them under the chin. Uh, you know, others, it's something they put in the pocket until they see authorities, maybe policemen. So it's it's uh, a, a lockdown only works if the people are working with the authorities, and people are unable or, or failing to work with the authorities because they feel that they're desperate uh, when they need help from the authorities. They're not getting the kind of help they need from the authorities. They see this lockdown lockdowns only as undermining their day-to-day activities, undermining their, uh, you know, no more activities of life, whether it is, you know, trading or attending funerals or even other events like weddings. So some have been known to find their way around, uh, you know, the lockdowns and around uh, governmental restrictions to still come together. Mm -hmm. But also, how does a lockdown work in a country or in countries where politicians, uh, you know, uh, have uh, uh, hold this 
massive political rallies. We've seen this even in Kenya, for example, some time back. And some experts are saying most of the infections can be attributed to the big political rallies that politicians are holding. And the politicians are so focused on the elections, on uh, on not missing out, on you know, on them getting their message out, out to the people, that they're really uh, ignoring the same uh, you know, uh, restrictions that they themselves have imposed on society. So uh, as long as there is that kind of uh, attitude from both the, the, the politicians and, of course, uh, the fatigue from the citizens, we're, we're going to see the infections go up. Suleiman, are the lockdowns working in South Africa? Do they help people? Do they, do they achieve the, the intended t- uh, purpose? South Africa, unlike other countries, it is a bit better organized. As regards the pandemic, as from the first uh, lockdown, the first lockdown was supposed to allow the country to prepare itself. It was supposed to allow them to prepare the the health capacity. So as far as South Africa was concerned, they were able to increase the, the bed, the, the number of ICU beds, the number of uh, uh, normal beds, the the, the procurement of uh, PPEs, the the preparation or procurement of oxygen, and other issues. As far as South Africa was concerned, the, the capacity of the of the health sector, of the health services, was really energized, was really capacitated. But as far as the livelihood was concerned, it was devastating because, as it was imported from Wuhan. If you are to look up people, as Vincent has said, who survive from hand to mouth, it was so difficult unless you have given them food. Number two, they, they, they had to make plans for other sectors. What about uh, the education sector? Luckily enough for, for South Africa, the education sector, because of our, uh, our, our system, our democratic system, the non-government sector was... Uh, on the back of the government. So government was forced to plan. But in other African countries, as you said in the intro, education was almost uh, left. So uh, the schools were remained closed. Even here in South Africa, we have had a stop and go. In some times, in some cases, they have been, the institutions have been open, then closed, then open, then closed. So in the long run, the people are asking, is it worth it? For those just joining us, you are listening to Reporters Roundtable. We are coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. Tonight we are discussing the impact of COVID-19 lockdowns in Africa. And our panelists are my colleague, Vincent Makori, Managing Editor TV English to Africa, and Suleiman Mugula, an independent political analyst based in Durban, South Africa. And I'm your host, Douglas Simpuga. Uh, Vincent, uh, Suleiman there mentions the, on education. Um, in many African countries, education has been hard hit. We are hearing of a lot of hardships because schools have closed, reopened a little bit, closed again. It's now coming to one and a half years. What's your take on that? You, first, you have to go to the very early months of the COVID um, pandemic. Uh, remember, schools got closed and the there were a time where they decided to go virtual, uh, where kids could learn through electronic um, uh, gadgets. Now, in most of our countries in Africa, uh, there are just a few schools that 
had gadgets like this for the kids or a connection. And even if a kid had a computer or a laptop or a, or a phone, you know, where's the Wi-Fi? Where's the ability to connect to the school programs? So it started by cutting off a great number of uh, school uh, kids from the education system because they had no access uh, when the schools decided that they could actually uh, disseminate some of this information uh, through, uh, you know, the Internet or through the, the, the Zoom or whatever the case may be. So that dis disadvantaged many, many children to the extent that it says that in some countries some, some students are actually one year behind or even more because they missed out on a lot. And, and, and of course, now they, it's also told you about the disparity between the kids in the distant rural schools and those in the urban areas and those who go to private, expensive schools uh, where their parents can afford all these things. Now, besides that, the other, the other really way in which it has affected education is that because of students staying home for a long time, we have had incidents of young girls being impregnated and uh, so many of these impregnated girls may never go back to school. And some of this has been a, a product of a, a consequence of uh, abuse yeah, at, at their homes or in the neighborhoods because of staying away from school and being around and around many people are also not uh, engaged in a serious activity. So because of this, you can imagine what the overall impact will be uh, when we come to look back on especially the yeah. girl child, how many yeah. will never go back to school, how many have yes. been thrown into poverty because now they have to deal with having to take care of a child when they don't have even the means they themselves. So it has had a, a very far-reaching effect on education on so many fronts. I can't even list uh, you know, all the, 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 the areas where it has affected the education sector. But I think it has thrown the system into a, a real serious confusion and uh, the, the real effects will even be seen much later when we look back and start making a proper assessment. Uh, Suleiman, how the situation like yeah. as far as education is concerned down there? In South Africa, we have been able to uh, to manage it to a certain level, but still the children will be affected. The government has managed to make a program where the candidate clusters have had continuous study. The government has been able to make programs where the higher education has continued to, con to study, but the lower classes have been staggered. There is no doubt the quality of education in the lower classes. They tried to make it online, but uh, those who could afford it tried and government tried. But after a few months' assessment, they found that the effect was too much. The children were not getting uh, uh, they, were, they were not getting quality education. So it has continued the staggering but the effect is being felt in the candidate classes as they move on. Unlike in other countries in the continent of Africa, where you find that some countries have gone for almost two years, some children are being promoted, or others have stagnated in classes. I think countries like Uganda, eh, the children have stayed in one class now for two years, especially those in public, eh, eh, public institutions. So on the whole, Douglas, if I could eh, sum up that one, 
Yes, education has been affected. The lockdown seemed not to, uh, uh, to help as far as uh, the progress in the pan pandemic is concerned because much as you lock down, the pandemic is here to stay. You lock down, but it will continue to spread. I think now we need more creative leadership on the continent to find a way to, uh, to address the issue of the pandemic. Yes, in the continent is increasing, but we have to find another way apart from the lockdown. And I believe it can be done because if you look all around, for example, we have had Ebola in countries in West Africa in around 2014, but some countries like Nigeria were able to protect themselves without going into lockdown. We have had Ebola in a, in, a, in a DRC, but countries like Uganda were able to defend themselves and to protect the country without going in lockdown. We have, we have had countries like, like Brazil, which were one time maybe around 2016, which was affected by yellow fever. It okay. was able to fight it even without going in lockdown. I think countries need to look at the lockdown method. I think we need to revise it. I think Magafuli was right. I think Ethiopia was right in the first instances when they refused to, to go into uh, that strict lockdown because of the nature of the economy which they have. Even Mogafulu had seen the same in the nature of the society which they had, and they said, we can try other methods. Even other, other countries which are well organized, like Ghana, they have come to analyze and realize that lockdown is not the most appropriate. They can try other methods, not strictly lockdown as it is being practiced by other countries I right see. now. Uh, Vincent, uh, the, uh, Africa has had a poor health system structure. But when uh, COVID-19 came, other diseases didn't go away. And with these lockdowns, yeah. either patients couldn't access the health facilities or they feared to go there, fearing to contract uh, COVID. How do you, what's your assessment on the health briefly and then throw it back to Suleiman to wind up? In fact, um, I was watching a sudden uh, little skit from the coastal town of Mombasa in Kenya where uh, someone was saying, you know, so many people got even scared of going to hospital for any other disease because they feared that if they go to the hospital, they'll be told they have COVID-19. Uh, they were scared to be heard coughing or sneezing because if you cough, then you will be quarantined. That's what everybody was saying. So as a consequence, there are so many people who actually uh, refrained from going to hospital. And as a result, some of them got more seriously ill and died from other illnesses because they were so scared of being told they have COVID-19. It was uh, reminiscent of uh, uh, at the height of uh, HIV AIDS. You know, somebody was more scared of being told he's HIV positive than getting some help mm -hmm. for it. Mm -hmm. So you, you you die quietly than, than actually have somebody tell you that this is what you have. Mm -hmm. And also, of course, because in some cases the cases, the, the, um, the COVID-19 cases were so high, uh, hospitals didn't even have in some places appointments for normal day-to-day -day illnesses. Mm -hmm. And, and so uh, the many people who could not access uh, health care facilities, could not go to the hospital, 
uh, first because the hospitals were prioritizing COVID-19 and people just scared of going to the hospital environment. And as a result, we have had so many other deaths unrelated to COVID-19 than we'll ever know, uh, but also the, you know, the, the, the spread of other diseases has continued. It has never stopped. Uh, Suleiman, last word, 30 seconds, we're out of time. As Vincent has said, the health system has been affected and is being devastated. There are cuts in education, there are cuts in the budgets, they are, everything is being uh, given to, to COVID. Education is affected, business is affected, livelihoods of, of people are being affected, yet the pandemic is here to stay. I think what Africa needs to do now is to get creative leadership, which will find means of, the, of us as a continent to, to find ways of surviving with the pandemic. I see. We have to find other ways other than the lockdown. I see. Well, we're out of time. That wraps up this edition of Reporters Roundtable. Thanks to my colleague, Vincent Makori, Managing Editor, TV English to Africa, and Suleiman Mgula, an independent political analyst based in Durban, South Africa. Gentlemen, uh, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You're very much welcome. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Reporters Roundtable. And a reminder that you can access the program on, on the Internet if you go to our main website. Once again, thanks very much for tuning in. And until next week, I'm your host, Douglas Simpuga, wishing you all the best. I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA. Coming up, a conversation with Tunisia expert Amy Hawthorne about the future of that country's experiment with democracy. The only country to have thrown off the yoke of authoritarianism is showing signs of backsliding. What precipitated the crisis in Tunisia and what are its prospects for holding on to its hard-won democratic gains? That's Press Conference USA this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice.